It's a beautiful day. We're thankful for the opportunity to be together. If you are a first-time visitor here, we want you to know how much we appreciate you coming our way. We pray that our time together will be beneficial to you. Hope you'll come back. If you're looking for a church home, we always invite people to consider the work here. We'd love to have you as a part of our family. Very grateful for all the blessings that we enjoy in Christ and the opportunity to be a part of a divine family. So if you are a part of the church here, we're grateful. If you're looking to be a part of a church home, we'd love to have you as one of our own family members. We're going to be looking today at 1 Timothy chapter 1 in verse 15. As we think about the theme to today, the chief of sinners. We're going to be talking today about the chief of sinners. As you look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul makes what I believe to be an incredible statement. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Paul in this verse is basically saying, if you want to know what a sinner looks like, I'm the guy. There are many of us that grapple with our past. Many of us have difficulty moving beyond our mistakes in life. There are times in life when we say things, we do things that we know aren't right. It hurts us deeply. There is a desire to change, to be better, to do better. But for whatever reason, sometimes we seem to be mired in our past, and we can't get beyond that. I think Paul is a tremendous example of somebody who learned to get beyond his past in life. Let me say this. One of the greatest lies of the devil that has ever been forged upon the human family is simply this. You can't change. God doesn't want anything to do with you. That's not the case. It's not true. I want to begin today by talking about the perception of a sinner. You have to understand that Paul here looks at his past as well as his present. When we think about our past, for some of us, it's not really a delight to look back and think about what we used to be. For some, the very thought of where they have been in life brings sadness. I want to begin by talking about the grief of guilt. There is no question Paul had to grapple with guilt. Guilt can be a terrible thing. And we're talking about the perception of a sinner. You know, the Bible talks about the stain of sin. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul recounts his past life. He said he had been a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. I think about Paul as an arrogant individual who stood for Judaism. He thought what he was doing was in service to God. He had lived in all good conscience before God. 
And yet, he did everything within his power to destroy the cause of Christ. Sin is a terrible burden. And the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is a universal problem. And Paul had to deal with the effects of sin. And we understand something about the magnitude of sin in life. But the shame that goes with sin. You know, David in the long ago, David was a man after God's own heart. David made a lot of mistakes in life, did a lot of good things. But you remember in Psalm 51, David said, My sin is ever before me. When I look at the life of Paul, I see in his life somebody who never forgot about his past. He talked about it frequently. The shame and the stain of sin. It might be that you're here today and you're dealing with grief and guilt because of mistakes you've made, choices that you've made in life. And you know, Solomon said the way of the transgressor is hard. One of the difficulties of living a life of sin is that guilt. And sometimes the most difficult person in the world to forgive is not the person who mistreated you, but self. Learning to forgive ourselves. Paul had to learn to forgive himself. He had to learn to get beyond where he had been as a Jew. Then there's a second thought attached to this. It has to do with the heartache of hopelessness. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul identifies those who are outside a covenant relationship with God. And he said that they are without hope and without God in this world. If you're without God in life, then you are without hope. There is no hope outside of God. None. Not one bit. This past week, I had the opportunity to look at the life of a young child, young teenager. When she was just a small, small child, she was diagnosed with cancer. And that baby battled cancer eight different times. I can't imagine what that would have done from a parent's perspective to the human psyche. Here's your baby. This is your child. And she is hurting and in misery and suffering. And yet, she's trying to soldier on trying to get well, trying to get better. And the doctors did everything within their power to get that girl well. But in the end, the only thing that they could do was send her home for about four or five days to die at home. Fourteen years old. Imagine if you were a parent in that situation. And you've taken your child home knowing there is absolutely no hope. Now, spiritually speaking, if you are outside of Christ, you need to understand if you leave this world, there is no hope. None. Paul said, the wages of sin is death. There are a lot of people that are out on the plains of eternity 
at this very hour. And they're out on that distant plain with no hope. And the reason they have no hope is because there was no God in their life. If God is not in your life, please understand, it's not His choice. The choice would be yours. And God doesn't want that choice for you. And then there's what I would call the futility of forgiveness. And by that I simply mean, sometimes we believe the devil's lie. That we as a human being are unworthy of God's forgiveness. Have you ever felt like that? That you're unworthy. I mean, why would God love me as a human being? Why would God care anything about me? I mean, do you know what I've done? Do you know where I've been? Do you know anything about my past? There's absolutely no way that I am worthy. Listen, you have to understand something. None of us are worthy of what God has done on our behalf. Not a single one. But I want you to listen to what Paul said, Romans chapter 5, verse 6. When we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. God didn't send His Son into the world to save good people. God sent His Son into the world to save people who were ungodly. That's how God operates. If we, didn't need, if we weren't ungodly, we wouldn't need God, would we? If we didn't have a problem with sin, we wouldn't need Jesus. So the idea is that we're unworthy. Listen, we're not unworthy in the sense that God doesn't care about our plight, doesn't care about our spiritual life, doesn't care about where we are in life. And then there are those who have this idea that based upon where they are in life, God would never be willing to forgive them. Let me tell you, there are people in this world, you might be here today, and in your heart of hearts, you're saying, you know, number one, I'm unworthy of God, God's forgiveness. And number two, you might be saying, there's no way God in heaven would ever be willing to forgive me. Do you know who I am? What was it Paul said? Paul said, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Paul knew something about the God of heaven, didn't he? Came to understand something about forgiveness. Now I want to flip the coin and think of the chief of sinners from a different vantage point. Because we all deal with the grief of guilt. There's a sense in which we all grapple sometimes with the heartache of hopelessness. The futility of forgiveness. So what then is the prescription? What's the remedy for a person who is in sin? Is there a prescription? Well, there are some things that I think we have to come to understand and appreciate. Number one, we've got to come to an appreciation and understanding of God's lavish love. You will never understand God's redemptive story if you don't know something about His love. First, I think about the expense of His love. 
Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 8. For God who spared not His own Son, but freely delivered Him up for us all. Now if you want to talk about the love of God, and how much God loves the human family, Paul said it right there. Here is the God of heaven, and He spared not His only begotten Son, the only one of His kind. Didn't Jesus say, for God so loved the world? 1 John 4, 8, God is love. In 1 John chapter 4, John would say, here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. No wonder John said we love Him because He first loved us. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, But God, who is rich in mercy, listen to him, for the great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sin. You mean to tell me that when I was living in sin, steeped in sin, far from the peaceful shores we sing, that there is a God in heaven who still loved me? Yes. The expense of His love. Listen to Jesus. Greater love has no man than this. Then a man lay down his life for his friends. There's something to be said about the expense of God's love. And then the expanse of God's love. His love is universal, isn't it? Listen again to Jesus. For God so loved the world. That includes all of us. God loves all. A-L-L. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what family you come from. Doesn't matter anything about your educational background. Your age, your gender. None of that is relevant when it comes to salvation. God loves you. And God will always love you. I don't care what you do. I don't care how far you go from Him. He will always love you. Now, He may not approve of your lifestyle, but He'll love you. And He does love you. There's a second thought. First, God's lavish love. But now I want to think about the grandeur of His grace. God's grace is an amazing thing. You know, the Bible talks about the provisions of God's grace. Without God's grace, no one would be saved. Without God's grace, we would be without hope and without God, wouldn't we? And yet Paul said in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared. Listen to him. Bringing salvation to every man. God is saying, look, I have lavished my grace upon all. My grace covers the entirety of the human family. Now, we've got, we've got to act upon that grace and kindness in order to enjoy the benefits and the blessings of it, but God's grace is there. Again, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said, But God, who is rich in mercy, for the great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, made us alive together with Christ. Listen to him. By grace have you been saved. Raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches 
of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Did you hear what Paul said? The exceeding riches of God's grace and kindness. Paul said, By grace have you been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast or glory. The unmerited favor of God, God reaching out to us. For what purpose? To save us. So there's something to be said about the grandeur of God's grace, the provisions of that grace. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul would write in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the beloved. In verse 7 he said, in Him, that's in Christ, we have salvation. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according, listen to Him, according to the riches of His grace. Is there a theme there? Yes. Paul is saying, because of the abundant grace of God, there's hope. So, the provisions of His grace, but then I want you to think about the power of His grace. I know what you're thinking. In your mind, you're saying, yeah, but. You just don't know my path. You don't know who I am. You don't really know the real me. If you only knew something about my life and where I've been and what I've done. Let me tell you what. The power of God's grace is such. It has the ability to cover you. How do I know that? In Romans chapter 5, verse 20, here's what Paul said. Where sin abounded, grace abounded, listen to him, much more. Now, look at the life of Paul. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul said on one occasion, I am less than the least of all the saints. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when he talks about how he had been privileged to see the resurrected Christ. You remember, he said, I am the least of all the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. But now listen to what he said. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which works in me. You know what Paul's saying? Paul is saying, God's grace made me something special. From his vantage point, he was the least of all the apostles. He was less than the least of all the saints. But he knew something about the power of God's grace. And listen to Paul. I was formerly a persecutor, a blasphemer, an insolent man. He said, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. But the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Paul knew something about the magnitude of God's grace. Paul could bask in that grace because he realized that the Lord Jesus Christ did indeed love him and shower his mercy and grace upon him. And so he could talk about the exceeding, the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness. He could talk about 
the grace of God being exceedingly abundant, or how God's grace had the ability to cover our sins. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He said when many of the saints were put to death, he said, I gave my voice against them. I consented to it. I thought within myself to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Luke said he made havoc of the church. This guy was a wrecking ball when it came to the church of Christ. And yet, because of God's rich mercy, grace, and love, Paul became a very special person. Why? Because of what God did for him and what God did through him. There's another thought I want to share with you. And that is the promise of pardon. Listen again to what Paul said. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And there are a lot of folks in the world today, they misunderstand the mission of Jesus. You remember in Matthew chapter 9 when Jesus was in the home of Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. And the people in that day, they chided his disciples. They wanted to know, why does your teacher eat with publicans and sinners? Why would he associate with these folks? Why would he be concerned about them? Look at Jesus. Jesus is often seen fraternizing with people whose lives were messed up. Who needed, forget, who needed Him in their lives. Jesus said to those people on that occasion, He said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus said, those who are well, they don't need a physician, but those who are sick do. The home of Matthew was full of people who were living in sin. And you know who they, they needed? Jesus. If you don't have Christ in your life, you know who you need in your life? You need Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Salvation is exclusively in Jesus Christ. And to understand something about the promise of pardon. Paul knew what it was like to enjoy the blessings of forgiveness. When Ananias came on the scene, Paul has been fasting and praying for three days. Ananias said, Why are you tarrying? What are you waiting on? Arise and be baptized. For what purpose? To wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Here was a guy that had gutted the church of Christ, had made havoc of the church, had been an enemy of the cause of Christ, and yet what happened? Change. The new birth does that. Let me tell you what, the new birth, when you become a child of God, you have a new beginning. Is that not what Paul had? Didn't he have a new beginning? Wasn't it true that Paul had the opportunity to wipe the slate clean, to start anew? That's your, that's your opportunity today if you're living in sin. You see, God has the ability to cleanse any sin. Any sin. When Peter and the other apostles preached on Pentecost Day, 
Some of those people who were present had been guilty of putting the Son of God to death. What if you had stood at the foot of the cross and hurled insults into the face of Jesus? What if you had been at the foot of the cross and you had been one who had taunted the Lord and said, if you're the Christ, come down from the cross and we'll believe you. What if you had been one of the Roman soldiers that took part in crucifying Jesus? Roman soldier took a spear and thrust it into the side of Jesus. What if that had been you? Would God still have forgiven you? Didn't Jesus say on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? They didn't understand what they were doing. They were putting the very Son of God to death, and yet on Pentecost Day, when those people became convicted of sin, they asked, what shall we do? And Peter said they needed, number one, to repent. Number two, they needed to be baptized. Did that include everybody? Yes. If God would have forgiven the henchman that put his son to death, then there is nothing that you have done that can't be forgiven. You can read 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And that includes a large host of people. Fornicators, adulterers, idolaters, homosexuals, thieves and covetous and drunkards and revilers and extortioners. And yet Paul said, and such were some of you. But what happened? You were washed. Paul was talking to people that had been in sin, but now they've been washed. He's saying to us, we can enjoy the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. God will forgive any sin, and He will forgive all sin. A-L-L. I don't care what you've done. God will forgive you. The Hebrew writer said in chapter 8, verse 12, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquities, listen to him, I will remember no more. The psalmist said, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That means when we obey the gospel of Christ, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God, repent of our sins, confess His name, and are immersed in water, that that old person, that that old way of life, that's in the past. You look at the life of Paul, and you think about everything he did, and yet what was it Paul said? By the grace of God, I am what I am. You can leave here today liberated. The remedy, the prescription for a sinner is spelled out. It's Jesus. It is His blood. That's what gives us hope. Now I want you to think about something very quickly. It has to do with God's divine desire. What is it God wants for you? God doesn't want you to live a life of sin and die and be separated from Him forevermore. He has demonstrated, number one, His interest in you as a human being. Look, He sent His Son to Calvary for you, for me, for everyone. 
He's not just interested in you, He has invested in you. You know, when young men excel in baseball and get drafted, the intent is for them to begin in that minor league system and work their way up to Major League Baseball. And the team that drafts them, they invest in them. They spend a lot of money hoping that that money that's invested is going to pay off one day. Let me tell you what, God gave the best of the best for you. He has invested in you by the sending of His Son, Jesus Christ. No one has ever invested in you like God the Father has. Did you know that? You mean the world to God. Paul said, God's desire can be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Peter said, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repent. Look, God wants you to be saved. John closed the Revelation in Revelation chapter 22 by saying, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, Come. God. I'm telling you, God is interested in you as a person, and He has invested in you. It'd be a shame to squander that, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be a shame to leave that on the table? You've got all these blessings right here before you. And to walk away from it. So you're here today. And you're dealing with sin. And you feel like you're the poster child for a life of sin. In your mind, there's no hope. There's no help. My news to you is there's hope. And there's help. The help's Jesus. Why not become a child of God today? We've had a number of folks that have been baptized into Christ the last few days. And you know, the Bible tells us that when you obey the gospel, you enjoy the remission of your sins. That is the forgiveness of sins. Your sins are blotted out. God forgives and God forgets in the sense those sins are no longer held against you. When you obey the gospel of Christ, you enjoy pardon. You have peace with God. That's what Paul said in Romans 5. You enjoy the presence of God in your life. You have the privilege of praying to God regularly and the promise of life eternal. So where are you? Maybe you're like Paul. Maybe you're here today and you need to do what he did nearly 2,000 years ago to be baptized so that all your sins can be washed away. If you're here today and you're back in the world, look, the news, the news still reads, God will forgive. John said, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God will forgive you. Won't you come as we stand and sing?